Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Adam Talks, a podcast that takes an alternative look at retirement. This is Adam Bergman, founder and CEO of IRA Financial. If you want to learn more, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on social media. Just search IRA Financial. Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of Adam Talks. Adam Bergman here, founder of IRA Financial Tax Attorney. And today I am going to be talking about SPACs and your IRA. So SPACs, also known as special purpose acquisition companies, have gotten really popular in 2020 and continuing to do so in 2021. But SPACs, they've been around for a while but they've recently exploded, probably due to COVID. A lot of people being at home, the increase in demand from day traders, the boom in the price of stocks, and that's probably led to an emerging market in SPACs. So in 2020, and this is approximately through December 2020, the beginning of December, raised over $64 billion uh, nearly as much as traditional IPOs. And this is according to Renaissance Capital. So how, we're basically going to talk about how SPACs work, who wins, what's the advantage for sellers, investors, promoters, what's the strategy if you want to be an inside investor or an IPO investor with warrants, and then talk about some of the advantages of owning SPACs in a retirement account. So let's just start with the beginning Special purpose acquisition company SPACs are basically blank check companies. So with a SPAC, essentially it's set up by promoters. It has no commercial operations and it's formed strictly to raise capital through an IPO. And the purpose is to acquire an existing company. So basically promoters get together, they put some cash in, they go raise money from individual investors, private equity funds, generally hedge funds are the biggest investors of SPACs as well as institutional investors. They raise the money, and then they have two years to essentially find companies to buy. So in creating a SPAC, the founders sometimes have at least one acquisition target in mind, but they don't necessarily have to. Okay, Generally, they have expertise in an industry, whether it's media, healthcare, technology, and generally the idea is to find a easy and quick way to do an IPO. So the money the SPAC raises in an IPO is placed in an interest-bearing trust account. And these funds cannot be dispersed except to complete an acquisition or return the money to investors if the SPAC is liquidated. So the SPAC generally has two years to complete a deal or face liquidation. After two years, the money goes back to the investors. In some cases, some of the interest earned from the trust can be used as SPAC's working capital. But after an acquisition, SPAC is usually listed on one of the major stock exchanges, like the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ. And the money is moved into a blind trust until the management decides what company or companies will acquire. So once it raises the money, they basically can't spend it other than to find an acquisition company, working capital, um, and, and that's it. And if they can't find a company in two years, you get your money back. So you don't really lose anything as the initial investor. And what's the advantage for the seller? Why would anyone take their company public through a SPAC? Well, it's a cheap way to do an IPO, okay? And there's the idea that selling into a SPAC can add up to 20% to the sales price. 
compared to a typical private equity deal. So being acquired by a SPAC can also offer business owners obviously an essentially a faster IPO process and a liquidity event. Um, I actually, you know, just I looked at taking IRA Financial public a couple years ago in a reverse merger and decided to kind of pull out while the process was going forward just for a, a number of reasons. So I understand the um, interest. I do understand some of the um, positives. And I've actually been approached by a number of people about putting IRA Financial into a SPAC. And again, it's just not something I'm, I'm interested in at this point. I, I just would rather grow my company privately. But obviously, there, there's a lot of potential advantages for a seller. And you, we'll, we'll talk of some of these examples like Nikola and some of these other companies that hit home runs with SPACs. Now, the founders hit home runs, the promoters hit home runs, not necessarily the investors. So obviously, for example, if you look at Fisker, which is an electric car company, okay, it went public via SPAC in October 2020. It basically told the investors that it has projected revenues of $13 billion in 2025. But as of yet, the company has no revenue. Okay. And it basically has a market capitalization of $4 billion. Okay. Nikola, I just mentioned them. They're an electric truck maker. They got a lot of publicity. They have annual revenues of less than 500,000 bucks. Okay. And I think most of that revenue is tied into like the owner doing a deal with the company. They went public in a SPAC in 2020. The shares slid. It opened up, I think at 34 bucks. It went all the way up to 94 and then dropped to about 10. And now January 25th, 2021, it's in the low 20s. And basically the founder is gone um, because there's been allegations of misrepresentations, things like that. So he's cashed out, but um, who knows what's going to happen to that company. So it's worked out for him, even though he's not part of the company. He had a liquidity event, an exit, and he, he made lots of money. Um, we'll see. Probably the initial investors also did really well. The promoters of the SPAC did really well because they got out and they also got warrants, which we'll talk about. But the investors now holding the stock in Nikola uh, may not be so happy. So let's talk about the promoters. Why would anyone want to put a SPAC together? Well, the question is, why wouldn't anyone not want to put a SPAC together? Someone said that you're nobody if you don't have your own SPAC. I think I read that recently you know, in the Wall Street Journal. So SPACs, basically, they put up a little of their own money and they essentially get to take 20% of the interest of the SPAC. So yeah, they got to put up some some cash, okay? Um, and they generally um, will put in, generally about 2 million, 2% covers the fees. So of all the money they raise, generally 2 million bucks or so is used for initial cost to, to launch the SPAC, legal costs and all that stuff. Uh, but they get to walk away with potentially 20% interest in the SPAC for putting in like 25,000 bucks. Okay. And I've actually helped people, promoters of SPACs, put the promote uh, in a Roth IRA because of the potential for a home run. So obviously, as a promoter, there's a huge opportunity to really you know, hit a home run by getting this promote stock, basically free shares for um, pretty much no money. Um, so SPACs, again, why are they always at $10? You'll notice if you invest in a stock, the, the share price is always 10 bucks. And so why is that? Well, a lot of people just think it's tradition, it's easier accounting. It's not really clear why, and there's not really a good answer, but most SPACs initially priced at 10 bucks, okay? But what about warrants? So warrants are a really interesting strategy that 
some of the initial IPO investors, this is where they make most of their money. And if you're listening or watching, this is where you want to get in. You don't necessarily want to be holding Fisker or Nikola stock a month, two months, three months after the deal, the, the reverse or the IPO um, into the blank check company. You want to be holding the stock and the warrants when they're raising money, when the promoters are going to raise money. So if you have the opportunity to invest in a SPAC and, and can do that in the outset when the promoters are raising money, do it. I actually think I've done it myself with, with a bunch of money and it, it's worked out really well. Why? Because of the warrant play. Okay, so how the warrant play is basically when you buy a unit in the SPAC, okay, and institutional investors, they'll get a share of common stock plus a warrant. Not just institutional investors, it happened to individual investors too, but you gotta be the initial investors in. So you get common stock, you get a warrant for a fraction or a fraction of warrant, which is basically a security that entitles you to buy more stock of the issuing company at a fixed price at a later date. You can also sell the warrant, okay? So these are like sweeteners to help people buy into SPACs. So SPACs generally, as I mentioned, they're gonna buy you know, companies, right? Generally, they're going to buy companies in hot industries like electric vehicles, cannabis, healthcare, online gambling. We've seen some of those. Um, and essentially, the whole idea is that the SPAC is going to be able to raise that money and then go out and buy companies that have you know, large revenues or potential for future strong revenues. And the promoters will be able to sell the stock as the price goes up. And if you hold warrants as as you are able to convert the warrants into stock, and then the stock goes up in the open market. When the deal's announced, bang, you just made a lot of money. So how does the warrant strategy work? Well, basically, if you can be an additional investor in, you get the shares and you get a warrant. So the price is $10 per unit. But if you don't want to participate in the merger, right, you can redeem your shares at 10 bucks. So you buy a share for 10 bucks a year, a year earlier. They announced they're doing a merger with company X. You then say, okay, I don't really care for this deal. Give me my 10 bucks, here's your share. But, okay, you can keep the warrants and it's basically free stock. So that's the strategy I've done and that's what a lot of smart investors have done is they kind of, they don't even care what the company buys. They just wanna get their 10 bucks back but they wanna keep that warrant because it's free money. So it's an amazing, amazing opportunity for the IPO investors. It's not good if you're buying it on the open market, if you're buying it after the deal's announced. This warrant, opportunities only for the initial IPO investors. So you get a right that gives you an additional one-tenth of a SPAC share when the merger is complete. So the typical warrant gives the holder an option to buy between one half and one share at an exercise price at 11.50, anytime over five years following the merger, okay? So on average, if an investor buys a unit in a SPAC public offering, redeems its shares, gets the 10 bucks buck, and keeps or sells its warrants and rights, the investor's annualized return is more than 10% with no downside risk, right? You got your 10 bucks back, you just got a free warrant, and now the warrant's exercise price was 11.50, bang. You just wait till the company's stock goes to 20, 30, 40 bucks, you just made a killing for free, right? So this is the amazing, amazing strategy, but you gotta get lucky and get into an initial um, IPO for a um, SPAC. You, you can't do it as a secondary investor because that warrant right isn't going to be there and then you're not going to have the ability to get your $10 uh, common stock redeemed and get to keep that warrant. So who wins in this SPAC craziness? Promoters definitely win because they're getting a bunch of stock up front for basically no money, okay, and the initial IPO investors, okay. So here's some statistics. Between January 19th and June 20th, 
2020, excuse me, um, on average, SPACs lost 12% of their value within six months following the merger, right? That's why you want to get rid of that $10 stock and keep the warrant and sell that warrant, hopefully pretty quick when the stock goes up and then get out, okay? So during that period from January 19th to June 2020, SPACs, okay, initial SPACs, they were down 12% within the first six months, whereas the NASDAQ was up 30%. So even with these drops in share price, 20% that the sponsor gets, right? Remember, the sponsor gets 20% basically for free, okay? Um, you get a really sweet return, obviously. So the sponsors of these SPACs enjoyed a return on the investment of more than 500% as the end of 2020. Meanwhile, if you are a, an investor that bought Fisker or Nicholas stock on the stock market two months or three months after the merger, you, you probably aren't so, so happy. So obviously the promote is huge. You get 20% of the company for putting down roughly 25,000 uh, bucks. Don't laugh, that's true. So yeah, you gotta put a few million bucks in as a promoter, right? There's costs, you, you, you gotta fork all the costs for the legal and compliance fees to get the deal done. Um, yeah, in, in some cases there is working capital available for the continuation of you know, finding a deal, but you got to come up with the money at the outset. You hopefully will raise the money. Once you're able to raise the money as a promoter, you get 20% of the SPAC for pretty much peanuts. Some put it in a Roth IRA, others don't, but it's going to be long-term capital gains. And as long as you can find a company within two years and you don't have to give back the money, you're going to make tons of money. Because at some point, if it's a good acquisition, you're going to get a really strong return because of the economics of the SPAC, which we'll get into real quick in a second. So the promoters and the institutional IP or the institutional or the individual initial IPO investors that get to play that warrant strategy I talked about, those are the big winners. So losers, unfortunately, shareholders who remain invested in the merger after the deal and, and beyond, they lose. So the sponsors get their free share and the IPO investors get their warrants. The shareholders who pay for the investments are basically sharing the value of the merged companies with others who, who, who didn't, plus they have to deal with the dilution of the 20% for the promote. So another study um, of SPACs, this one was interesting. Um, SPACs that merged between January 19th and June 2020 found at the time of the merger, most SPACs had less than $6.75 a share in cash, but ascribed a $10 value, right? They used some of it for the working capital to find a deal, they finally have a deal, you're only, you buy shares in that SPAC, you, you don't have $10 worth of share, you only have $6.75 a share. So that's why people play that warrant strategy, they give back the stock and just keep the warrant. Obviously critics say it's great for promoters, great for initial IPO investors, really crappy for smaller investors. Um, and they have a, a really poor record of delivering returns. Out of 107 SPACs that have gone public since 2015 and executed deals, the average return on the common stock has been less than 1.4%. And this is according to Renaissance Capital. During the same period, the average return of companies that went public via IPOs was 49%. Okay, so got to think about that. If you're not getting in initially as an individual um, initial IPO investor, or you're not smart enough to be your own promoter, um, you may want to stay away from some of these deals. Uh, they do have a feature to protect investors, and that's the ability to get your money back. But that only helps if you're an initial IPO investor. It doesn't help if you're buying it Nikola on, on, on the open markets. And generally, hedge funds and private equity investors are the biggest purchaser of these 
uh, initial stock and warrants because they play the strategy. They're not stupid. Uh, and this is from an article from uh, Michael Klausner and Emily Rohn of the Wall Street Journal. I found this really interesting. And this shows you the, how the value gets diluted in these, in these um, um, SPACs. So this company, Blackridge Acquisition Corp., it raised $138 million in 2017. Okay, it only had about 20 million in cash after redemptions, right? So everyone got their money out of there. Okay, but there was warrants still there. After accounting for the shares the sponsor received, remember the 20% they got, the warrants that all the smart people kept, okay, and the underwriting fees, they calculated that Blackridge had only about $3.50 share in cash at the time of the merger. And indeed, within a week of its merger, the share price dropped to $3.52. Okay, so that's a really good example of some of the downsides of these SPACs. And uh, it's another good, um, I think, example of who wins, right? The promoters, the initial IPO investors that pulled out, got their warrants for free. And then the small little investors, they basically got left in the cold. So again, just think about that. Um, it's something to consider. Um, and, and it's, you know, there are some good opportunities. Not all SPACs are bad. But I think it's important to understand that there are obviously big advantages for the promoters and the initial investors. And then if you're buying these SPACs on the, on the open market after the deal is announced, just be careful. I mean, yeah, I know a lot of people like to trade on Robinhood and it's fun and there's a lot of action depending on the industry and the stock. Uh, but be careful because as I just mentioned and talked about, SPACs don't have a great long track record, at least historically. And the fact that there's such a momentum for SPACs raising cash in the last year, um, I'm not convinced that some of these companies that these acquisition companies are going to be buying are actually going to be worth uh, what they're paying for it. So, and that's another thing to think about is that they, when you sell to a SPAC, you, you basically get approximately over 20% of the sale price you know, compared to a typical private equity deal, right? So... It's, it's, it's giving the, the sellers the chance to do a quick IPO, get some money out, liquidity event. Promoters get to get the free cash. The initial investors get the warrants and the ability to redeem their $10 stocks. And then the little guys, the small investors, get stuck with either you know, a really good company or uh, a crappy company that's really not worth what they paid for. So um, anyways, you can obviously buy SPACs and IRAs. You can buy it um, on the open market, Fidelity, TD Ameritrade, Robinhood. But initially, if you are able to get into an initial um, SPAC as, as an investor in the initial IPO, um, you may need to do it in a self-directed IRA initially. You could. Um, and if you're a promoter, if you're, you're out there listening or watching, you're smart enough to be a promoter, definitely want to think about putting that promote stock in a Roth IRA, lock in tax-free gains. I've helped a bunch of uh, SPAC promoters do that. I think it makes a whole lot of sense. Um, so obviously just something to think about. But anyways, I hope you all understand what SPACs are. I'm sure you've heard about them over the last year. Uh, I hope I was able to kind of give you a short, sweet summary of what they are, who wins, who loses, some of the drawbacks, and also some of the advantages, obviously, for the um, sellers of the business, the promoters, um, and some of the initial investors, and, and then the small investors down the road. Be careful um, because the, the economics don't always uh, work out. Adam Bergman, IRA Financial, really appreciate all your support. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Please subscribe if you haven't. Uh, you can also check out my two other pods, AdBits and AdMail, which are weekly. You can pick them up on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple. 
And I just want to wish everyone um, health, good health, stay safe, um, and um, keep listening, keep watching. I promise I'll do my part. Keep pumping up the content. Um, again, thanks for all your support. Be well. Take care. Talk to everyone again next week.